0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Dance Science Podcast. I'm your host, the Dance Scientist, and the Dance Science Podcast intends to build connections and drive discussion on how we can improve our field and make dance science more normalized. Thank you so much for being here and please enjoy today's episode. Hi everyone. Again, thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm your host, The Dance Scientist, and today we're going to be having our next guest speaker who I'm really, really excited to announce today. Her name is Chelsea Parati. She's a sports psychologist and a mental performance coach. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Chelsea.
1: Of course. Happy to be
0: here, Maureen. Yes, thank you so much. So first, can you tell us a little bit more about becoming a sports psychologist and a mental performance coach?
1: Sure. So it started for me, actually, not knowing what that was. And I think that's one of the reasons I love talking about this, because I think it was a career field that I didn't know existed as a dancer. And I didn't even know it existed when I finished my undergraduate work in psychology. It took me a long time to find it so it is uh, a journey that took me a while to discover but it's now a career of uh, supporting either the mental health or the mental toughness or both of uh, of dancers to help them kind of use those mental skills uh, make sure they can perform their best that you know all that hard work you're doing in the studio shows up when it's time to be on stage or to audition Mm -hmm. so uh, yeah my journey was very twisted and winding i don't know that you necessarily want that whole story but it was uh, something that i didn't know existed so i love sharing more about it that there is a field of uh, mental performance coaching for dancers.
0: Yeah. So, you know, the next question is kind of like describing your journey and what led you into becoming this career. So yeah, we would love to hear your story a little bit more, whatever you feel like you want to share. Yeah.
1: Sure. So, uh, well, like I think all of us who have found our love for dance, I found it very young (laughs) and I started studio dancing young. I stayed mostly in that world. Uh, so studio trained all through high school, did the competition and convention circuit, that many of us are familiar with. And then I was a professional ballet dancer for a short time in like end of high school, early college years. And then I had to personally make a choice whether I was going to focus more on the professional ballet side or focus on my academics. I was Mm -hmm. finding the schedule too demanding to do both. Mm -hmm. And which was, uh, my experience, and I will say it doesn't have to be everyone's, but that was mine. Wow. I felt like I had to make a choice. So uh, I chose the academic route. I left my professional company. And, uh, but then I didn't stay out of dance. I started coaching a high school team, mm. which I ended up loving. Mm. And so I coached a high school dance team for 16 years I while I kept going through the academic side. Oh. So uh, I now have a PhD in sports psychology and I'm a college professor. And then I kept coaching for a long time. Mm. And Kind of as I was saying, that journey of like I just kept going in psych. I didn't know what I liked, didn't know what I wanted that to be, until I found coaching, and then I found sports psychology as like a broader, like traditional sport coach world, Mm. and realized that there were not a lot of people serving performing artists in any way. That's really changed and grown even in the last five years. But when I first started, I was like the one performing artist in a room full of you know coaches who do the traditional. Football, basketball, baseball kind of stuff. It's like, but we're, we're athletes too. Like we, we want this as well. So I love being able to take, combine my two worlds um, and take my academic work into dance. And yeah, so that was how I ended up here. Now have my own business supporting dancers, because so we need, we need more of it, more scientists who understand what we do.
0: Yeah. And you know, you touched on a point that I really want to hit here is you said it took you a while. It took you trying things that you may not have liked and then finding things that you liked a little bit more, right? Because I think sometimes there can be this pressure with, you know, like you got to know your career, you know, you got to know what you want to do at 18 (laughs) and you can't change your mind. And I think that's just really far from the truth.
1: Oh, absolutely. I definitely, it took me a long time, both in kind of the dance side of it and my academic career side uh, and, Now, as a professor, I actually teach a lot of graduating college seniors who Mm -hmm. I get the same story of, like, I don't know what to do and what's next and all this pressure. And I constantly want to share with them and share with anyone listening that developmentally, as far as, like, knowing who you are and knowing your identity, you're not supposed to know who you are at 18. Right. You're not supposed to be, like, done, quote, unquote, and know what's right for you and know the next steps. So. Nor should you at the end of college if you choose that route either. Like most of us, it should take most of your 20s to explore and understand and find your identity and find the things that fit you so that you're not copying somebody else's path that oh. you're doing what's genuinely true for you. And it's not necessarily fun to flounder around and have that sense right. of I don't know what's next. Right. Those of us who are planners they'll like yes. that feeling, uh, but it's, it's healthy and normal to spend your time like you said, trying new things, experiencing, uh, meeting new people and deciding uh, what might fit, which comes with what doesn't fit.
0: Yeah. And i I mean, I don't really think they're even like mistakes at that age when they're kind of like, ex, you all. know, f- trying new things because everything is going to teach you something about what you want to do, you know? Yeah. So Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So through your specialization, how do you see this contributing to kind of the big picture of dance or just dance science?
1: sure so i see the mental performance side contributing in that it's i guess two two main ways one is that all of the physical training you're doing and all the way other dance scientists are contributing it allows you to get the most out of that training because if you're working on the mental aspects you are better at focus and concentration motivation goal setting imagery your ship, like there's so many of those skills that when you're good at the mental side, it changes how you show up in class and rehearsals or PT or wherever you are. You you're gonna get the most out of that training rather than just you know going through the motions of being at the ballet bar and doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, so, I think it serves to really enhance the physical training that we're doing. Mm. And then the other side of it is all of that training mental skills allow you to be mm. more successful. Mm. And I define success in a few different ways and I think that's an important piece is success, meaning it can really help you on a competitive and professional sense uh, and kind of help you be more successful in auditions, be more successful competitions in that kind of outcome based. But I also really see it as mental skills help you uh, experience more enjoyment. Mm. excuse me, joy and fulfillment mm in dance like just Mm -hmm. to love it more Mm -hmm. and to find the fun and joy uh when we're taking it so seriously sometimes we lose that part so i think it serves in those main two ways keeping us healthier and more successful and happier in all the training we're doing and then actually getting so much more out of the physical training so you're Mm -hmm. progressing faster and achieving more results than you might uh Than you would otherwise.
0: And you know, I'm also curious what age do you think is appropriate to start with these like mental skills if we're talking to like a dance teacher?
1: That is a great question. So, as far as teaching directly to the dancers,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I start around middle school, Mm -hmm. around 12 ish. And there's some brain science why that's true and why I would start around that age. And it has to do with awareness Mm -hmm. and our ability to think about our own thinking, mm-hmm. right? We have to have enough cognitive skills to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So if I teach directly to a dancer where I'm explaining things like their, their mindset and talking about confidence and self-talk uh, and motivation, I will start around 12. Mm-hmm. That said, as a dance teacher, uh, you can use your own language and then you can teach the skills without, you know, overtly talking to a dancer about it. It's just in how you teach oh. and what your class is like and mm-hmm. what your culture is like. And that starts from infancy. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a parent, the research shows you can start it at like six weeks old. Mm-hmm. It's, it's any time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's valuable from the, the
0: moment you step in a studio. Mm-hmm. So what are some qualities that you think builds like a healthy classroom climate?
1: Oh, yes, so... <laughs> A lot of classroom climate I think comes to uh, how you define success and what you are praised for in mm-hmm. that motivation. Yeah. So a positive motivational climate is kind of what mm-hmm. the science word of it is, mm-hmm. is a climate that is going to encourage effort and the idea that mistakes are okay and how we learn
0: yeah.
1: and uh, praising like, growth. And so. And let me break this down more. So, one key thing is praising effort over outcome. Mm-hmm. So, praising dancers who are working hard, who are making mm-hmm. progress, mm-hmm. who are putting effort towards the right thing, mm-hmm. not just praising the dancer who gets it right every time mm-hmm. uh, or who gets that. it right. Uh, because as a teacher, like I want my dancers to fight and work hard and have some grit. And then, yet, we only praise and celebrate like when they hit the turns for yes. the first time or when they. You know so instead celebrating the effort and the, the the ones who are focused the ones who are giving you what you want to see in class mm-hmm. and then also a motivational climate focuses on each dancer improving compared to themselves yes not a competitive environment within mm-hmm. uh, so making sure that those people are setting goals of like how am i better than myself yesterday mm-hmm. it's just that individual growth and progress as we understand eventually as adults, right? Everyone's on their own path and your rock star at seven might burn out later. And You might have the one who started really late or was not very coordinated or couldn't count, but then really blossoms later and everyone has their journey. So a motivational climate will celebrate each dancer compared to themselves mm-hmm. right? and making sure that they're pro- in getting that feedback and then that would be the third thing, the motivational climate that focuses on feedback in a way that is, uh, like technical and Mm -hmm. challenging, but, you know, doable and encouraging. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And you know, I like that all of the things that you're touching on there are first of all, simple for dance educators, but second of all, they cost nothing, Yes, right? Like that's the best part is you're not buying anything. It's just like a, it's just a, it's a tone that you set from like the minute that you walk into the room yeah
1: Yeah. and it doesn't cost anything from equipment and it also doesn't cost anything from time right and i think people assume that they need to like set aside this big like weekend retreat to work on mental skills and you can do that and they're fun but you don't have to you could it's just how you have class it's how you act how you teach the language you use Mm. i think my biggest uh kind of the tidbit for that for teachers that you can take away is that what you say becomes their inner voice. So it's just in your language. And that, as you said, doesn't cost anything. It's just your own kind of training and awareness to bring that motivational
0: climate. Yeah. I love, love this so much. So what advice would you give a student interested in pursuing your specific field?
1: Sure. So there, uh, if you want to be a mental performance consultant and kind of do that actual, uh, career, it does require at least a master's degree. Mm-hmm. So know that from an education place, there's a time and commitment to that. Uh, so an undergraduate four year degree that is usually in psychology, uh, doesn't necessarily have to be, it could also be an exercise science, uh, kinesiology, physiology, any of that area. And then there's a masters in mental performance mm-hmm. and, or counseling. And that's the thing about sports psychology that I should say you could do it as a counselor that you maybe would think of for any other psychologist where you're helping with mental health disorders, uh, helping dancers who are uh, diagnosed with things like depression or a a generalized anxiety disorder, eating disorders. So you can have that counseling approach or you can have just the mental performance side, which is, you know, Emotion management and kind of regulating yourself so that you can reach a peak performance Mm. So it's helping average normal dancers reach their peak abilities And so as a career you could do either one Mm. or both Mm. and then that would just kind of dictate your career path but uh, That's education wise. Yeah, you do at least a master's you can go on of course Mm. Past that, um, but when you're thinking about it, if you're a young dancer thinking about it, it's really just about keep dancing and enjoying it, and um, thinking about how you can bring that into what you're doing now, mm-hmm. uh, and then thinking of time in in college that might help with that path, which again is kind of anywhere in the sports science, medical, uh, you know, um, or psychology field.
0: Mm -hmm. And you know, something that kind of comes up for me is let's kind of play a scenario. So what if, let's say you're working with a studio or working with a company, right? And let's say they say, oh, you know, we don't prioritize mental health or or it's only a priority if the dancers are actually like diagnosed with something, right? So like, what are the, what are some of the, how are some, how are you, would you react to some of these
1: excuses sometimes? I will say it's gotten so much better in the last like 10 years. I yeah. used to have to really convince people that yeah. it was worth it. <laughs> it is, it's getting better. Uh, there's still that uh, roadblock for some. And it is that assumption that like, well, okay, yes, we support mental health. Like if somebody is diagnosed with, a, with depression, of course, we're going to support them and I want to be there for them. Um, so my explanation to somebody who says we're, we'll support like a mental health disorder, but we don't. Right. Otherwise, we don't need anything. Right. Is to say that there is a difference between. Okay, sounds good. So I always want to explain that there is a difference between mental health and mental toughness, mm-hmm. and mental performance consultants can serve either one or both, and so you know mental health is what many people are familiar with and helping dancers with diagnosed mental health disorders but there's this whole other side of mental toughness and mental toughness is more about emotion management and understanding your mental state and understanding your state of emotions and then regulating yourself so that you can be excellent so that you can perform at your peak. So. I think people assume, well, if I don't have a mental health disorder, then I'm good. I don't need mental performance consulting. Right. And again, they're not like opposite ends of a the spectrum. They're two totally different things. Mm-hmm. So you can have, you know, great mental health, but be not mentally tough at all. Mm-hmm. Right? And struggle to uh, you know, have that grit, struggle to work hard sometimes, you know, giving up or being such a perfectionist that you get in your mm-hmm. own way and you can't Uh, you know, try new things without being really scared and holding yourself back. So try to, again, highlight those two different things. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't have a mental health disorder, wonderful, that's great. But there's this whole other side that can elevate your experience as a dancer.
0: Right. And then, you know, we obviously from just hearing how you were kind of explaining that, we can see how that's going to filter into their technique no matter what. Sure. Regardless yes. of their age, many
1: dancers—it's mm-hmm. that perfectionist side. Yes. It's That like, well, if it's not perfect, then I can't do it, or I don't want anybody to see me mm-hmm. until I have it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of stuff that mental toughness can do because yes. if you have that perfectionist mindset or uh, that kind of this self-talk, right—the the negative script in your head mm-hmm. of like, I'll never be as flexible as her, mm-hmm. or like he has such beautiful lives I won't ever look like that. I can't jump like like those scripts in our heads, hold us back from mm. practicing as hard from showing up as our best self from performing well. And so it's learning how to monitor all of that. It does it, it infiltrates everything about how you practice, mm. which then of course shows up on stage.
0: Right. So it's I mean, it's just like having a physical injury, right? If some yes, of those things absolutely. are left just untreated, right?
1: Yes, because it's really going to form I, a block.
0: It is. And I would say this
1: mental toughness training is actually really relevant when you do have a physical injury. Ah. And that's a time when I see that connection a lot, because when the dancer is injured, along with all the physical recovery, there's usually some, uh, mindset and mental aspects of it as Mm -hmm. well. Feeling like, you know, my identity as a dancer, if I can't dance, who am I? Right. Which becomes really challenging to deal with. Um, or if the injury came from some sort of, um, specific, uh, like a specific jump, or you were at a specific place, or like something happened where you were going to have to do that thing again, Mm -hmm. then a lot of that mental toughness around, okay, you might be physically healed, Mm -hmm. and you are cleared to come back. But now you're scared to do certain moves, certain jumps, certain skills, Mm -hmm. because it might happen again. And that's Mm -hmm. again, where mental toughness can be really powerful in helping a dancer mentally return and have the confidence to dance at their past level, even once they're physically cleared.
0: Right. So, you know, we, we may all have dancers who we work with, who may seem very technically strong, but maybe if they're struggling with something, maybe we can think in our heads, okay, maybe we should check into their mental toughness, right? Maybe we should incorporate more of these mental skills into the class, right?
1: Yeah. And I hear from dance teachers a lot that they're like, Oh, my dancers are just lazy, or like, why won't they work harder? And lazy is kind of a a trigger for me to be like, Mm. Okay, Yes, they could be. That could be real. They could just not care or they're there because their parents want them to be there. Of like course. there's a lot of other reasons, but lazy also is a behavior that you see when a dancer is not giving full effort, but they might not be giving full effort because they're not confident. Yes. They're uncertain. They are a perfectionist. Mm. They're scared of your reaction if they can't do it well right. or judgment from their peers. There's so many other things that could be holding them back. Right. That's, we want to say like just go full out and we just want to like yell at them for more effort right but there could be a deeper mental toughness issue that's looks like lazy right that's not what's happening
0: right and it's i mean it's not really their fault in that instance yeah. yeah
1: or it's just yeah they just don't know i kind of see it like they don't know what they don't know no right. one's explained right and as i'm sure you see all the time in yeah. other dance science work when a dancer is like you know using the wrong muscles for something yes and it's like they're just you know fighting their way through it. Yes. And then when somebody explains, no, try this one, no. you know, use this, I'm, let go of that. You have that epiphany. Yeah.
0: The oh, light bulbs. that's
1: what that's supposed to feel like. Yes. And I, the same thing happens in mental skills is we're just like, keep, you know, power forward and assume it's all fine. And then when you realize, oh, it doesn't have to be like that. You could train differently there's that light bulb of like oh that's what class is supposed to be
0: and you know especially in the climate with dancers you know we see obviously a lot of perfectionism and pushing to the extremes and stuff right so Mm -hmm. how do you kind of can you kind of touch on like how you think we can find a balance with pushing dancers in a way that's healthy and still supporting them
1: yes and i think that's the big issue for many teachers and dan- and dancers who are hearing from their teachers, like there's teachers are scared to challenge because they care about their mental health. And like, wow. I don't want to push them too far, which is wonderful that we have that awareness now, but it comes with that flip side is now we're like, I think I can't challenge them. right? And so it goes back to mental health first, mental toughness. You can work on mental toughness. You can present challenges in a way that has, no harm to mental health Mm. and it goes back to a lot of the positive motivational climate we were talking about so concretely for teachers it's about presenting a challenge which could be a really complicated petite allegro Mm -hmm. it could be you know a new hip-hop skill like whatever that looks like for your context but you present a challenge but it comes with like i am purposely Challenging you because I think you can do it. Like, I'm going to amp up what we're doing right now because I believe you're capable. So, here's this challenge. We're going to fight. I'm going to push you, but I am here to support you through it. Mm. So, when it becomes dangerous, is when presenting those challenges and the really high expectations comes with no support and wow. it only comes with threats, mm. like figure this out or you're out yep. kind of idea. That's wow. when it becomes a problem. Presenting a challenge as like, I believe you're capable, and I'm going to give you the school the skills to get there. But you have to give me the effort and the focus and the intensity. Um, I can't make you do that. Right. right. So you can present the challenge with the support and scaffolding around it. Uh, so if you do it within that positive motivational climate, you can absolutely have high expectations. and right. You should.
0: And you know. I'm glad we're having this conversation. Cause again, I think it's just like one of those things that people assume like, oh, we can't push our dancers at all, but really there's a really fine balance that we can find.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of us are frustrated. They're like, I want, I want to challenge my dancers. Of I think course. they're capable of more, but I don't want them to fall apart. Or if I try any little challenge, they do fall apart. And it's, yeah, building up that mental toughness
0: piece. From a young we- age.
1: Um, as a society have a better understanding of mental health. Again, that's great. Uh, but I think we're losing uh, mental toughness in the process.
0: Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. So from your specialization, what have you learned that you wish you knew as a young dancer?
1: Oh, all the things.
0: <laughs> everything. Every, everything. Um, I was definitely that
1: perfectionist dancer, if it wasn't going to be good, I wouldn't, I didn't want it on stage, mm-hmm. I was so scared of a lot of um, feedback that might come my way. Uh, you know, I, I have maybe a handful of times in my entire career where I can remember being on stage and genuinely enjoying the performance and, you know, being in flow and loving it. Those were rare. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because I didn't understand all of these aspects of mental toughness and mental health. So. I think, uh, let's see if there's like concrete one. It's, it's literally everything. Uh, my, I think the thing that would have helped me the most as a younger dancer is understanding self-talk and understanding that you can change what you say to yourself. Yes, And I think especially as teenagers, we don't realize really that like, that script in your head is still you like you can do something about that and you can change that and we just hear all this feedback from our our peers, our directors, our parents. And again, it becomes our script and now having the understanding of like you can be aware of that and say, Oh, there's that thought that's not helpful. I will, I'm going to do something else and kind of taking control of what that is. I wish I was better at that.
0: Yeah, because again, like point. <laughs> right, because again, you know, we've discussed that these can become hindrances. And you know, the sure. these things, you know, people drop out of dance for these reasons, you know, yes, absolutely for these, yeah, with overthinking too and perfectionism, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So we will be talking about this a little bit more in part two. But where can people learn more about you? And where can they access your resources?
1: Uh, Sure. I think uh, the easiest way to get to know a little bit more about me and what I do is my podcast. So I have a show called Passion for Dance that really focuses on the mental aspects. And the kind of mission is to help dance educators, dance teachers and coaches uh, learn how to help our dancers thrive and be happier and more successful through mental skills training. So uh, that's the easiest thing. Passion for Dance on all the platforms where you go Um, and then you can listen on my website as well. And there's lots of other free downloads and resources there, which is just ChelseaProvati.com.
0: Yeah. So what I will do is right on my website page where I have a whole page on my podcast guests, I will be sure to link your social media and your podcast page.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yes. So as a wrap up to part one, if you just had to give one little tidbit of wisdom to our audience, what would that be?
1: Oh, goodness, one thing. Uh, I think it's my mindset mantra of control the controllables.
0: I love and that. that's the
1: biggest shift in how you approach class, how you approach competition um, as a teacher, how you approach your classes. So shortly, control the controllables just means when you are stressed, upset, uh, feeling that sense of overwhelm, feeling perfectionism being able to step back and say what is in my control at this moment Mm -hmm. and focusing your energy and your effort there and then letting go of the rest
0: and you know i really like that because again all the strategies that you've been giving today are like bite-sized pieces for people right they're like little nuggets but obviously Mm -hmm. they go a long way because I think sometimes when people think of the word like change, they think that like, you know, we have to do this like wide sweeping change across the whole state, right? But I think right. it can actually be like small ways that we mm-hmm. can just start implementing right now and right here, right?
1: Sure. Yeah. Small little things that it's I think a lot of psychology in the field is like this where you can learn these little tidbits and skills. You're so like, oh, simple. Yeah. That makes I mean, sense. And which is great. And then It's deceptively hard to make it stick.
0: And so Uh. it becomes
1: a lot of practice. And so I liken it like dancers, you can do a basic tondo and it's not that complicated of a motor skill. It's not that complicated. Um, But to do it really solidly and to do it to a place where that motor skill is something you don't have to think about anymore, that all the right muscles go and you articulate through the foot and everything is there takes years of practice Mm. and mental skills are the same way like understanding that mindset mantra is like oh i get it that's not that complicated having it be your brain's automatic thought Mm. rather than overriding all the ugly and having the positive be the automatic thought takes years of training But you can get there just as you can
0: with your dance skills. So it takes patience and consistency, just like technique, right? Absolutely. It's the same process. Yeah, I see. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for part one. Yeah, of course. All right, we are now moving into part two, we're going to be talking a little bit more specifically about what she does. So the first thing that we're going to hit on today is can you tell us a little bit more about what you do as a sports psychologist?
1: Sure. So I really have two aspects to my job and my kind of daily routine. So on the one hand, I am a college professor. So I am, it's called a teaching professor. So I am in the classroom teaching and with kind of service components, helping uh, students with things like honors projects and uh, clubs that they might be running but I spend the majority of my time teaching. Uh, One of those classes is for psychology, so Mm -hmm. I get to talk to uh, students about the field and what it is and teach them the basics of mental skills. We apply a lot of it to being a student because it's all very relevant (laughs) to any performance context. Uh, So there's that professor side, and then I have my own business. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, the work for myself, it's just me, (laughs) and have uh, the way that I can serve our dance community through my podcast and other outreach efforts that I do.
0: (laughs) Excuse me. Yeah. So next, can you tell us a little bit more about the services that you offer?
1: Yeah. So I have a lot of free resources out there. I want to just kind of share this message that we can change our dance industry by learning more about mental performance and learning more about how to shift the climate and what we're doing. So my podcast is uh, again, an option of um, passion for dance and then lots of free resources. And then as far as like services, when um, I'm hired to work with athletes, there's kind of two ways. So one is uh, workshops for studios or school Mm -hmm. teams. It's kind of the the niche that I tend to work in. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that can be Zoom or in person, and we will pick one mental skill and do a workshop just on that. So it's things like goal setting or uh, confidence, you know, getting a competition day mindset, things like that. So we kind of do workshops with studios and school teams in those areas. And then the other side of my business is a membership for teachers. So it's teachers and coaches that are kind of in the community that support each other. We know that all of us kind of have that same value of like, we want to be teachers who are creating this, positive climate mm. and um, holding them to higher standards and helping them be successful uh, using the right tools. So then that, that community has a bunch of mental skills resources that you can use at any time and then it's really the community aspect. That's a big part of um, a personal value for me that's also a business value of building that community mm. and being there to support each other in what we're doing and not be working so isolated. A lot of us are kind of isolated, you know, yep. on an island, so, yep. to speak, so I like to have that community piece
0: yeah and you know i'm curious as you were talking about working with like studios and uh high school did you say high school teams or just like high teams in college. general yeah, yeah. so yeah. do you kind of notice a difference with like the cultures between the two i'm just kind of curious
1: sure uh not really the they benefit from the same and mm-hmm. a lot of them uh have similar challenges and similar strengths mm-hmm. uh the bigger difference is the fluidity of a studio so a studio Mm. dancers might compete multiple routines that have all sorts of different combinations of dancers yes you have you know the line the small group the duo trio your solos you have all the different versions and then a school team is usually a little bit more like everyone is together for these same two or three routines Mm. Um, and so that like the fluidity of the teams Looks a little different and kind of can present different challenges and different opportunities, Uh, but from a mindset skill and from the types of challenges, the topics that we work on, they're actually very similar.
0: And then I'm curious, do you do like one work, like single workshops with them, or do you like work with them for a period of time? Both. Yeah.
1: So it is my favorite if I get to work with someone for an entire season, Mm. (laughs) and so then we'll do usually four sessions. Some are in person, some are Zoom, and those again, those are my favorite because we get to build and right. we get to take what we've learned, come back and check in on it, do it again and work forward. They, I see so much growth and progress oh, in those yeah. that we get to see over the course of a whole season. Uh, but for many, for many studios and schools, it's a, a one-time thing, which still has a great impact. Of course. We'll do that as well.
0: Yes, of course. Yeah. Even one-off classes are beneficial. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: So tell us a little bit more about what your challenges can be.
1: Sure. So sometimes a challenge to me is when the teachers or the coaches come to me with something that they're struggling with, with their dancers, and they want me to, quote, fix their dancers, but it's not really a dancer problem. It's a teacher problem. And Oh boy. (laughs) And that's getting better in the sense that like the teachers who find me believe in what I'm doing. And so it's usually not them, or if it is them, they're coming to me because they want to be different. Like mm-hmm. they understand that this is an old way or I don't want to be this way anymore, I wanna learn. Uh, so it's, they're open to it. But mm-hmm. I think the challenge is the ones who are not as open to this mm-hmm. way of teaching and this focus on mental skills. And they just want me to work with the dancers to fix them. But it's the culture in the room. Mm-hmm. So to your like your very first question, mm-hmm. if we can do a one-off workshop, but if the culture of everyday class doesn't change, then it's not going to make a big difference.
0: So I'm curious, you know, how do you kind of respond if a teacher or like a studio owner is just kind of has, you know, those Mm -hmm. maybe older ways of thinking?
1: Yeah. Uh, So before every uh, workshop, anytime I'm going to take on a new client, we always have that one on one. And so in that conversation, if that becomes clear. Uh, I will talk more about like, this is my philosophy, this is my approach, this is why I think this is important. And do you think this is going to fit your studio? And if yes. you don't, then maybe we should, you know, reconsider this. Yes. And I'm totally okay with that. It's not going to be perfect for everyone. I think right. it could help everyone, but it doesn't fit everyone's culture. And, and where they're at, they may not be ready. Yeah. Uh, so I try to just be very upfront about it and say, this is how I approach things and, and my values and my philosophy and how I do it. And if it doesn't fit you, we should discuss that now rather than yeah, until after.
0: And I think that's fair because you know, you're giving them the heads up beforehand
1: yeah. to
0: see, you know, yeah. to see mutually if it's a good fit too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yep. I think that's important. Because, you know, I don't think we can really expect to change everyone's mind. Right? Right. And
1: I don't think I, I kind of alluded to earlier, like I used to f- feel like I had to do a lot of the early education about Mm. the value of it. And I think that's shifting enough that now I just work with the people who come to me Mm. open to this already Mm. and hope that they are continuing to spread the word. And then they hear from like their other studio friends Mm. and their other team friends and like, Oh, this helped. Okay. Maybe I should think about this. And like, once they're open to it, which is just sort of a, it's a truth about psychology in general. Like I can't, you know, this therapy is not going to work unless you are open to, Uh, hearing it. And you want that change. And so that's kind of my general approach. If they're not open to the change, then they're not ready for it. And that's okay. Right. I will be here if and when they choose to come back and talk about
0: it. Right. And you know, even coming from like just the general dance science world, I know change can be scary for people. But I mean, like, really, I just see it as an evolving that needs to occur.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. it is just evolving. And I think for any of us, we're like, well, that's not how I was trained. Or it was, that's not what I had. Yeah. And A lot of times that's a good thing right Right. science has improved (laughs) but but let's take this and make it better than what we had
0: yeah or they see it as like disrespecting where the art form came from right it's like a slam to the art. yes yeah so it's a struggle so what is your favorite part of doing this
1: the aha light bulbs that go on and when especially when i hear from dancers uh you know a few weeks later if I get to check back in after a month or sometimes they'll just send me messages on Instagram or something and check in and just say how like ballet class feels completely different Like I, I like it again I, I feel like I'm getting better when I was stuck before um, or they'll send me the message of you know that like I had the best solo I've had on stage in a long time it was fun again like those those sort of messages are absolutely the best part or when coaches um, our studio owners will check back in and just say like, okay, I took your advice and we had this meeting with the team and like everything's better and thank you so much. Like, so yeah, it's the little ahas and the wins when it's uh, made a difference in how they're experiencing dance again.
0: Yeah. And you know, something I kind of thought of as you were talking is like dance teachers are trained to just kind of look at like the body and the technique, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we kind of can't see past that unless we have, official mental health training right so that's yeah, where someone right. like you comes in so that we can kind of see like you know okay what's going on with this dancer because if they're not progressing with their technique mm-hmm. maybe maybe there's something else under the layer right right yeah so, there's Something yeah. you're not
1: seeing and that is what's really challenging about everything in the field of psychology is it's uh we can't see your thoughts we can see your behaviors mm-hmm. and we can see your actions and your technique and then it becomes the training of like what you're seeing the behavior you're seeing mm-hmm. is just a symptom of something but it might not be what you think it is mm-hmm. and kind of taking that training back to say like, okay if this is the outburst that i'm seeing in class or this is the eye rolling that i'm seeing or this is the you know she won't even try that skill the mental block that i'm seeing and being able to backtrack to like what is as you said what's the under layer right. what's going on behind it um, rather than assuming there is a, a a motor skill a technical skill and a lot of times it's both so like mm-hmm. not to say that more technique training isn't going to matter of course it matters but if you have that solid you know technical training physiology understanding and bring that with the mental this way i think you would have your your best ability to impact dancers
0: yeah and you know we know that dance teachers a lot of the times are wearing a lot of hats but then sure. we know that sometimes they give too specific of advice in certain things, right? Like we know that they give sometimes misinformation for things like nutrition, right? So do you mm-hmm. kind of see that plugging into the field of mental health? Like, do you feel like sure. there's like a line that should be drawn with dance teachers? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And I think it's for the sake of the dancer and who they're advising and for the teachers themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that really comes back to the mental health first mental toughness so there, it's understanding the line of if there is a potential for a true mental health disorder, mm-hmm. that unless you are also a licensed psychologist, right. that is not your role. Right. And I, I say that actually to protect the teachers to say, okay, I actually shouldn't be responsible in this moment. And I need to make sure that this child is getting help. Mm-hmm. And if you are depending on your role, your level of responsibility is different, of course, and your resources might look different. You know, if you're in a college, that athlete also has access to mental health as a student athlete. Mm -hmm. And you have that easy connection. If you're a studio owner, you may not have that. Um, but there's a thing called mental health first aid. Mm -hmm. It's like a a training that you can take just like you might take for a CPR first aid where it's like, you just know what to do in an emergency crisis Mm -hmm. and then how to get them help. Mm -hmm. And that is your responsibility from a mental health place. But mental toughness, and uh, mental skills training that we're talking about, you can absolutely lean into and try and, you know, gather all the resources you can and, you know, read all the books, and listen to the podcast and try to help and implement that as best you can.
0: Right, because so, you're not like diagnosing specifically, right? Yes, right. Absolutely. Yeah, so yes. it's
1: more so sort of about like, learn all the things, try to get the help implement all the mental skills and performance training you can, but keep the kind of emergency red flag training for yeah. mental health issues and making sure that that's the line of yeah. really when you think that that might be happening.
0: I think it's important that we address this so we know like yeah. where is the line and how do we draw it, right?
1: Right, and it's it's scary I think for a lot of teachers. Like I oh, don't yeah. I don't have any training in that. How could I possibly see it? And uh, that's where I think things like that mental health first aid yes. uh, are gathering up uh, resources in your community and know the laws in your state mm-hmm. as far as ages and reporting and parent involvement and those are different state to state but taking the the time to educate yourself on those basics so that you're kind of protected and confident yeah. on that mental health side and not trying to solve the problem mm-hmm. or not not ignoring it and saying but I don't know and I'm not a psychologist right. so it's yeah it's a fine line and I totally right. understand how scary that is um, but there are a lot of community resources now to make sure that you can find if there's any red flags that you need to have somewhere to to support and help that dancer and not try to take it on yourself.
0: Yeah. And you know, I was actually seeing the mental health first aid. I've been seeing it popping up in my email. So I think I'm actually gonna look into it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's it's not something that I do because I'm not a clinical psychologist, uh-huh. you know, on that the social psych side, but I uh share about it all the time because yeah. I think for many uh teachers, it is or studio owners, you know, it's scary. Like I said, it's scary. Yeah. It, it's it, it's a confidence boost to you to say, I oh, know yeah. what to do in this moment, just as we would if somebody tears an ACL in front of you, if somebody, like you know, the same, all of a is choking. Like you want all of those kind of emergency first aid yeah. moments and have that ready. And then you can, you know, be your best teacher in the moment.
0: Right. You know? And then, like you said, they're not left doing absolutely nothing because, of course, there's something that they can be doing. Yeah. yeah. gives them something. Yeah, as much as
1: we're sharing, like, do the concussion training and do all of these things. And I know there's a lot. um, But yeah, the mental health first aid might be a confidence support as well as um, being there if and when, unfortunately, you need it.
0: Yeah, and then I'm thinking, like, even in studios that are really, really rural with not a lot of, like, you know, immediate hospitals and immediate stuff around them, that would be great Mm -hmm. so that they can, again, have that basic information for when an emergency happens. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I really love that. So what is maybe one piece of wisdom that you would like to offer our audience to wrap up today's amazing episode?
1: Oh, thank you. I, along with control the controllables, that is always my go-to. I think I would circle back to what we said at the beginning about identity Mm -hmm. and that if you see yourself as a dancer and you say, I am a dancer, that is an important part of your identity and it's an important part of who you are. But to remember that it is one piece of your identity. And there are many other aspects of who you are. And when we want to excel on stage, we actually want to lessen the focus of a dancer being the only thing that matters. Yeah. So you actually will likely perform better and enjoy it more and you know improve in your technique and your skills if being a dancer is one aspect of who you are and you remember the other stuff that you maybe have other interests, other things that make you happy, friends outside of your dance friends, uh, you know, defining success as something other than being first in competition Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of making sure that it's that balance. It can be a really valuable, important part of who you are. You know, it's still a valuable, important part of who I am throughout my whole career, but it's not the only thing. And that's one great shift to start kind of this mental toughness journey.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I like that because, again, another one of the assumptions is that dancers should just only be dancing, right, that they shouldn't Mm -hmm. be taking, right? So can you touch a little bit about, like, the extracurricular activities, why that's important for the brain and the body? And
1: I mean, I'm sure obviously there's the physical side of it, but I know you and others can talk a lot more about what that does to your body to train uh, to cross train and to yes. do those different aspects so healthy and wonderful yeah. I will leave that to, yeah. <laughs> to yeah. uh, but from a brain point of view it's the same sense of being able to identify success in different ways is really helpful and know that again it's not just competitive success it's not just being clear the nutcracker like it's not just that um, you know, top of the pyramid kind of success right. that matters uh, if you find value in other things Mm. and so you can say like yeah maybe that competition didn't go as well but it doesn't mean i'm a bad person Mm -hmm. so it's really it's like okay i'm not a if i make a big mistake on stage or you know we don't score as high as we thought we should that that maybe it's able to being able to separate and say okay that was a mistake on stage that was a one-time thing i made a mistake i'm not a bad dancer Like, I'm not a bad person because I did this one thing. And that separation allows you to say, yeah, I made a mistake. What did I learn from that? How do I grow? How do I get better? If you're too attached to, I have to be a perfect dancer, Mm -hmm. mistakes become devastating and become a threat to your mental health. So it's that kind of separation of identity that is really um, protective and helps you excel.
0: Yeah, and I think it should—you know—dancers should have time to do other things in their schedules. Yeah, it's not something that they should have to fight for.
1: We need that reset, yeah. physically and mentally. Yeah, um, I mean, knowing we, what it is, I do.
0: <laughs> I mean, I like
1: absolutely just... do. Yes, and it's and it's uh, away from screens, which is also really hard. Yeah, um, finding that, speaking to brain science, I have to put that out there. Yeah, <laughs> like finding ways to socially connect—that's not a screen—or find ways to connect with yourself and. Like, do you know what you like to do if you're alone and like don't have anything else to do? And like most of us, like I don't have moments where I'm alone and I don't have anything to do. You know, we're always busy, but do you know what brings you joy if you actually are just with yourself and Mm -hmm. nothing else to do and being able to kind of sit in that uncomfortableness as you figure it out, really important kind of balance as dancers.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think there's even a way for like high level dancers to still oh. be doing extracurricular activities. Yeah. 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 Still. Yeah.
1: You have, it's so many options. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be another 20 hour a week. No. thing. It's a yeah. small piece, but it's, it's a intentional break um, that
0: helps you physically and mentally. Yes. I love that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Sure. All right. So just wrapping up today's wonderful episode with Chelsea Parati. So first, I just want to make it clear that one of the biggest things we talked about today is the importance of building mental toughness in our dancers, okay? And this should be viewed as synonymous, as just as important as us teaching them technique, right? Or just as important as when they get injured, right? So this really should be viewed as just as important if we want to build dancers that are tough and dancers that are strong. Another thing she touched on Is, you know, there are actually really easy ways that we can be implementing and promoting good mental toughness and good mental skills, even in our own classrooms remember there's a lot of research behind building a positive classroom climate so she mentioned a lot of easy easy ways that dance educators can be doing this from a young age and again i also pointed out that you know these things cost absolutely nothing but they're simple and they're things that we can implement in an easy way she also touched on identity okay so you know we know that dancers tend to overly identify with dance and we talked about that it's important for them to build time in their schedule to also enjoy other extracurricular activities. I also want to point out that she does have her own podcast so I will be linking her podcast directly on my podcast page which is on my website. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of the Dance Science Podcast. I'm your host, the Dance Scientist. And if you really enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to either leave a review. You can also comment right on the episode. And you can also send me a direct message right on Instagram. Again, thank you for being here with me today. And I look forward to seeing you in my next episode.